0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. We're so glad to be with you on this breezy Friday afternoon. Uh, There have been so many, so, so many vitally important news events that have happened over the last two weeks. We didn't record last week because uh, both Scott and Bailey were in transit and I was uh, involved in another call, a different podcast. And so we're here this week and we're going to attempt to uh, do a wrap-up of everything that's happened over the last two weeks um, or at least a bunch of things i think this will be a lightning round of an episode so that we don't get too worked up about any one thing because honestly we could spend an hour about every one of these items and we have one two three four five six seven eight nine items on our agenda as it is that's an entire workday worth of uh, worth of podcasting. So um, we'll get into it on these things. And I'm going to try to go, uh, I don't know, least to most emotional. I'll say it that way, um, at least for me. So uh, joining me today, of course, are my two wonderful co hosts, Bailey Perkins Wright. Hello. Hello. And Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir.
1: Y'all, this wind is nonsense.
0: It is. I think it's supposed to die down tonight because uh tomorrow it, there's almost no wind. It's like a 3 mile an hour, very lovely. Should be a nice yeah, weekend.
1: Can we we just can we just start there and say the wind is nonsense, I'm over it. It needs to stop. It also needs to be colder and that
0: is all and now we can move on to the next real topic. You'll get you'll get both of those things in short order. I have to I need the wind to die down so I can go reclaim all of my Halloween decor that is blown down the street, I think at this point um well let's i'm gonna go in order on what we have on our sheet here you guys uh i'm gonna start with the changes to the legislative leadership because this feels somewhat benign um so as we prepare for well i guess for special session will these will these changes be in place for special session or is it do they kick in next year in the spring
1: that is a Good question. My assumption would be that these are going to take place in the spring um, because I think that, you know, they're going to want to get in and out with special session as fast as they can. And, you know, there's, you know, obviously the, 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 so the short story here, right? So we've got uh Senator McCourtney, it'll be taken over as Senate, Senate majority floor leader from uh, Senator Kim David. That's probably the biggest one, right?
0: Yeah. And Kim David is running for the Corporation Commission. Right, um, which is the you know one of the most important state agencies you've never heard of. They oversee the the energy companies,
1: and and you know Senator Courtney is an experienced senator. He's a super sharp guy, um, but there is like an, a flow to these things and rules and procedure. And I don't know, I don't know, if special session if they're going to want to if that's if that's the time for him to kind of get his feet wet or not.
0: Well, and it may. Yeah, it may not really matter either, right? Because it's not like they're having a bunch of committee meetings during special session. They're just really like one committee and then floor and then they're out. So, um, yeah, so they're switching up. Julie Daniels is no longer in the, she's no longer chair of the judiciary. Um, That's a big change. Um, And she's
2: now the uh, vice chair. Well, she's co chair of the newly created Joint Committee on Administrative Rules.
0: That's interesting because, I mean, that pertains to state agencies and like what rules they pass. Right. And the legislature has to formally approve them. Interesting. Well, uh, we'll see. That is a big change. I will say uh, on behalf of the podcast, congratulations to Senator McCourtney for becoming a floor leader. That's a big day. He's a friend of
1: the the show, been on several times.
0: Yeah.
2: And then also Senator Paxton and, Senator Lee, Lee Wright have been promoted to assistant majority floor leaders. So.
0: I feel like, and maybe this is just me talking, but I feel like these changes made sense. Like there wasn't anything that was like totally unexpected. I mean, I guess we kind of thought Senator David might remain as as floor leader for one more term, but uh, also we recognize that Senator Treat, the the pro Tim will be terming out, I think after his current term, right? I, I So I think there's the initial kind of a jockeying for position for what that looks like. And so we'll see. I, I think it'll, well, I don't know who knows. I'm not going to cast any, uh, any lots on what I think the session is going to go like next year. It's an election year. It could go lots of directions.
1: It's an election year, which means there's going to be a lot of nonsense, right? Like an election year means there's going to be a lot of bullshit. That's what that means.
2: Well, and that's what we've learned, you know, especially over the past few years is that things um, ebb and flow. So, things that we predict uh, sometimes go in a different direction. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out, especially um, over the next year.
0: Well, then let's go to our next item. And that is there were several abortion laws passed in the spring. uh, Three, I think. And I think they've all now been blocked uh, or otherwise put on hold by the courts pending lawsuits. Is that correct that is
1: that is my understanding at least all in to some degree yes they've all been intervened upon by the courts
0: we've seen additional lawsuits in texas regarding their abortion laws uh, and the how that is playing out and so as of right now the law in oklahoma governing abortion is no different than it was 6 months ago right like it's
1: yeah and there's just you know this just goes this is more evidence of the fact that despite what, uh, despite what leadership at the state legislature thinks, this shows that the um, House of Representatives and the state Senate in Oklahoma do not, in fact, have the power to overrule the United States Supreme Court um, or determine what laws are and are not constitutional. They can uh, bray about what is and isn't constitutional all they want to, um, but they don't get to decide that. The courts do, and the courts have spoken for the time being. Obviously, all of this could change uh, in the near future um, with some cases that are currently pending uh, before the Supreme Court of the United States, but uh, until those shake out, um, the I, it seems like uh, the, the the state and federal courts are respecting precedent and saying, nope, these these weren't constitutional a year ago, they weren't constitutional two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, or five years ago when you passed similar versions of them, and they're still not constitutional now.
2: And one thing I hope that the taxpayers will pay attention to is that we can't make policy off of principles and worldviews, right? Because if we're not crafting policy through the lens of constitutionality, then we're running into situations where we're spending our finite resources on stopping things and wasting time, right? That that weren't going to go through in the first place. And so um, there's probably going to be many more moments um, until the legislature um, really is strategic on, on how it approaches policy. And I know I don't foresee that being... Um, the case especially as we enter into an election season <laughs> and so um but that's just something that um tax- taxpayers have to pay attention to
0: yeah that's exactly exactly right
2: andy there's one thing i wanted to mention in our conversation about leadership changes in the capitol that i will be interested in following uh, we know that um former majority leader uh, Kim David, or Majority Floor Leader Kim David, was very strongly in support of managed care when it comes to how we're going to uh, structure our uh, Medicaid program. And there were many legislature legislators in the House and Senate, particularly um, now Majority Leader McCourtney, who had concerns about the structure of that and the impact that would have, especially on, um, rural areas. Right. And, um, there was some controversy around even, um, some statements made last session. So Andy brought up a great point about, um, Senator David being censured um, because of comments made about Senator McCourtney. And so it'll be interesting to see now with Senator McCourtney in this, um, role of powerful leadership and what happens in the um medicaid managed care conversations
0: yeah that's a good point i forgot about that interesting all right so moving on with our lightning round of uh news stories and difficult things happening in oklahoma uh house bill 1674 which listeners may remember uh, that is the anti-protest bill we discussed quite a bit back in the spring that does a few things, right? It, um, it penalizes um, people who, um, in, under the law's definition, were inciting a riot or, or collaborating, what's conspiring with people um, to do this, that it, it set them up for like a $10,000 fine or something.
1: So yeah, this is the one that that they can be charged with like racketeering and conspiracy,
0: right? Yeah, right. And then also the way it's mostly known is it's the bill that that allowed um, provided protections for people who would drive into a crowd. So basically, like the way I think we talked about in the spring, and this is probably how it's most broadly known is if you block a roadway, that even if you're if you're sitting in a road blocking the road as part of a a nonviolent protest, that could be in theory, can construed as inciting a riot, and if someone uh, drove their car into you to escape that riot because they feared for their life, then they uh, would be free and clear. That would be they would be would be a defensible act. Now, there's lots of nuances to that, but regardless, a judge has has blocked two of the three provisions of the law that actual driving and crashing into protesters was not part of it that got blocked but the rest of it did um, and really so you would not be charged with racketeering you would not be fined for conspiracy um, because it's it was a very loose connection like basically if you had like ever donated to an organization and the organization was somehow affiliated with this or you spoke to them or whatever anyone would be subject to being uh, charged here and i think they blocked it on grounds of the first amendment so That, I believe, is a win for the First Amendment.
2: Well, and Andy, I'll lift as well that I'm grateful to see the legislation move in that direction because of what's happening in Kenosha right now. Mm. Um, Right now, if you all remember, I think his name is Kyle Reddinghouse, uh, was at a Black Lives Matter protest in that community, and he had um, a gun. And he got into conflict with a few of the protesters and shot them. And the judge right now that's currently uh, presiding over that case is not allowing the, I don't know if this is the defense, but whoever whoever's representing um, those who were shot, who were protesting, he won't allow them to be referred to as victims. He's requiring them to be referred to as rioters um, as protesters and other loaded words that um, almost put them at fault for what happened to them and getting shot in that instance um, and almost making the person who shot the protesters come across as a victim, right? (laughs) And so we see many of these biases within our criminal justice system and the interpretations of judges. And so um, my fear is definitely that something similar can happen in Oklahoma, especially if um, a law like HB 1674 is put in place.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, On related note, um, the ACLU of Oklahoma and the NAACP of Oklahoma have filed a lawsuit to block House Bill 1775. That's the critical race theory bill. Um, There was an effort to uh, repeal that law uh, that did not uh, successfully collect enough signatures to do that. Uh, and so this lawsuit was filed, I guess, last year. And week. Andy,
2: I wouldn't even call this the critical race theory bill, right? Because the, the legislation itself bans conversations related to uh, race and gender. And it prohibits colleges and universities, public colleges, and universities particularly, from being able to require um, diversity uh, trainings and and other coursework related to that. And so the way that the bill is written, um, and one of the plaintiffs even is a teacher um, at a public school who said that his district told him, or at least his institution, his, his school told him that he wasn't allowed to, work, to use words like diversity or white privilege and other terminologies um, related to talking about race and gender. And so um, that is a piece of this lawsuit is talking about how this is um, censorship, right? And how it's intentionally targeting um, conversations related to certain groups of people.
0: That's right. And, you know, any kind of government act that is designed to cool the freedom of speech, I think that's usually the term that's made, right? Right. that would uh, dissuade someone from fully exercising their First Amendment rights is unconstitutional. And listeners, I will give a plug here for uh, one of my other hats I wear at Freedom of Information Oklahoma. Uh, Next Tuesday, Tuesday, November 2nd, we are hosting our annual First Amendment Congress that morning. It'll be a virtual event, of course, uh, streamed on our YouTube. And uh, one of two of the, the panels will be about this this very lawsuit and about this very issue. Uh, in fact, we'll have Melvin Hall, who is the uh, attorney represents the NAACP of Oklahoma as one of our panelists. We'll also have um, uh, Abby Henderson and uh, Ellie, whose last name escapes me, um, that we had on the podcast back in the spring talking about these laws. They will also be panelists there. You can learn more about the First Amendment Congress at F O I Oklahoma.org. You can sign up uh, and you'll get the link there. It should be good. It should be a very interesting discussion um, to talk about these laws in Oklahoma and also how these are not isolated. This is part of a concerted um, organized effort across the country to, and honestly to infringe on Americans first amendment rights. Right.
2: And especially the purpose of college, particularly is to A, help college grads be global citizens, right? Have those critical thinking skills to be able to process many different ideas and, and to be able to, um, draw conclusions based off of, you know, the information that they're able to, um, digest. Right. And if, a law is preventing institutions from being able to teach on certain subjects that doesn't create um, a plate of like robust discussions and perspectives and exposure to different ideas. I believe it was OCCC um, even canceled a class, I think it was a summer ago, um, related to um race and other things or diversity um, because of the way that this law was written. And so yeah. it could have some rippling effects, especially of how broad and complicated the language is to where it could be interpreted all kinds of ways, depending on um, how different institutions want to interpret it. So, um, Andy, I am glad that you all are having that discussion related to um, the various laws that that try to suppress sp- speech and the, the free exchange of ideas.
0: Yeah, you know, this this reminds me, Bailey, of when I was a freshman in college many moons ago, uh, I entered college as a theology religion major with the, the plan to become a, a minister, right? I went to Southern Nazarene here in Bethany. And uh, about halfway through my freshman year, a lot of my fellow religion majors were, you know, pardon the joke, but losing their religion and really questioning things and i was talking to one of my professors and he said they had gotten some complaints from parents you know like after christmas break students go home spend time with the family the parents are like oh my gosh what are you teaching them uh, snu not known as a bastion of of liberalism right and the, <laughs> these uh professors told the parents and it was mostly religion and philosophy right it was all that department they said our job is to teach your children how to think, right? Philosophy is really the the science of thinking in some ways, and and we teach them how to how to think. They come to college with their preconceived um, understanding uh, of religion, of their faith, of of where it exists in the world, and what it means for them. Our job is to carefully take it apart so that they and then help them rebuild it um, uh, based on. History on tradition and on their own experience, right? And and on the readings and the lessons of theologians throughout history. And you know, we look back at uh, famous, well-known theologians throughout history. We know their names because they they question one another. It wasn't because they took the lessons of one and just everyone went with that, right? Like this is, uh, uh, and so to the extent that we do that with religion itself, we should also do it with with history we should we should be open to questions to analysis to wrestling with what these things mean for us as individuals for us as a society uh, because the end result is a uh, a much more i think robust and stronger society and a a stronger sense of self for us as individuals Uh, go ahead scott
1: no yeah i mean a hundred percent it's a it's a stronger society, but I think I think what's what's unspoken there is it's a stronger society because it might reframe ideas about who we are and where we come from and how our society is structured. And in that reframing, there are those among us that might lose power and privilege and it might be uh, it might be granted to other people who haven't had it before. And so
2: and Scott, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it'll be uncomfortable to say that thing, my grandma taught me wasn't exactly the full story. It wasn't the full picture. Right. (laughs) Or that thing that I learned in, in, in this way, you know, may have other lenses to it. Like that's, that's hard to digest for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. So it's, you know, it's like so many things I I've, I've been, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this the last um, couple of weeks for a bunch of reasons, but man, so much of our, so much of our politics and our, and our civil discourse, not just around politics right now. And, and this has probably always been true and it's just about different things, but so much of it boils down to fear, right? Like fear is just such, fear is such a powerful emotion. Um, and, and it's disheartening to see uh, lesser leaders um, and politicians in particular, use fear right but it but it's but they do it i think because it's easy right like it's easy to win an election by making people afraid or it's easier right um it's really hard to win an election by telling people that they don't need to be afraid um um it's really hard to change policy by telling people they don't need to be afraid
2: well and and sometimes when it's something we've never experienced before and it's something that's different than the status quo, it seems like the sky is falling until it's not, right? Um, I am a part of um, Leadership Oklahoma's Class 34 and we're into um, the heart of our experience. And um, the Oklahoma Center for Community and Justice, OCCJ, did a implicit bias training OCCJ did a um, implicit bias training that I thought was really powerful because they had this slide that showed whenever landmark cases were decided by the Supreme Court and what public opinion of it was at the time that it was decided and then where public opinion stands today. So they gave the examples about um, same-sex marriage, right? They gave the examples about integration. Um, they gave, um, so, so other landmark moments that people were fearful of, people were afraid that if black and white people use the same water fountain, or if that people end up marrying the same gender, then our whole values and our whole world is going to fall apart. And so you had those approval ratings of like, you know, within the teens or in like, you know, maybe 20% max of people supporting it. And then you look at it today to where we're look back at that time of like, why was that even an issue? Right. (laughs) And so there's there's so many things that it just takes taking people along, kicking and screaming, because over time it's gonna be okay. And then our children and then our grandchildren are gonna have an entire new world to where they won't even be able to compute why something was even an issue. I love talking to my stepdaughter, who's seven about the idea that she couldn't go to school, you know, if she if she lived, you know, 50 60 years ago when her granny was in school that she wouldn't be able to go to school with with white children. And that doesn't make sense to her, right? But there was a time where white children in 50 60 years ago felt afraid. So I, sometimes we just got to take people along with that fear just kicking and screaming to know eventually it's going to
0: be okay. <laughs>
1: Amen to that, sis.
0: That's exactly right. Well, um, let's move on to our next item. Uh, and that is that there was an attempt to, well, I think there's an a uh, discussion about whether or not voters could recall Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater. The law does not allow for recall of district attorneys, which is perhaps a a flaw in the law. Can
1: any elected official in Oklahoma be recalled?
0: uh maybe i didn't think i didn't think we could i will text uh someone who knows more than we do in just a moment and find out um but i can say that it hasn't the,
2: happened at least there's not a precedent right.
0: of that yeah i i mean they tried to recall the mayor and some city council members in norman right so that happened they didn't i mean they tried they didn't do it successfully regardless um when it comes to the da here in oklahoma county there is now an effort to collect signatures on a petition And that petition would not recall him directly, but it would impanel a grand jury to investigate him, which I think is uh, a wonderfully creative way to get to the same result, right? Like, the goal, I think, of of folks is to investigate his conduct, his actions, his conflicts, um, and that, and his abuse of power uh, as a district attorney. And so this is a good way to do it. And so they are Currently, collecting signatures, they've they don't need that many,
2: about five thousand.
0: That's not that's I mean, uh, as someone who tried to do a ballot initiative where I needed two hundred and fifty thousand, this seems much more attainable.
1: <laughs> um, so, so usually the DA in a particular county, like, is in charge of the grand jury, right? So if voters vote to create, if citizens vote to create a grand jury. To investigate the DA who runs the grand jury
0: that's a really good question
1: right because usually like the Oklahoma County Grand Jury is like the DA is like the head of it and the AG is the head I think of the multi-county Grand Jury right so if you got a grand jury to investigate the DA who is in charge of it is it one of his subordinates because that would also be a conflict of interest is it somebody from the AG's office is it an outside attorney who is empowered to like call like because because i mean i know again this is I'm um, this is this is coming from john grisham novels not like uh you know <laughs> not my not not the law school that i haven't gone to but like my understanding is that like you know there's a grand jury and like the da's office decides like what witnesses are like well not doesn't decide i think the grand jury can like call witnesses yeah but the I think it's heavily run by the da like the da suggests like maybe we should call this witness maybe we should call that witness here's some evidence that you could consider here's some evidence that you could who does that if there's a grand jury investigating the da Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: you raise a really important question of of, because i mean all of this is unprecedented right and so it'll be interesting to see what the process looks should this go into play
0: I texted a, a local attorney who is knowledgeable on these things and they said that someone will be be appointed by the judge, I assume. Uh, and then as far as recalls go,
1: the judge who is like buddies with the DA?
0: Well, that's always a, a potential conflict, right? This is the thing with politics. is that It's a good old boy system.
2: And it's very interconnected. I think that's another challenge is that we're learning about yeah. the way our systems are designed. There are a lot of Intersections in relationships.
0: That's right. Relationships matter, as it turns out. All right. Speaking of relationships, Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum is souring his relationship with the uh, with the tribes. Uh, so he signed basically they an uh, the amicus brief aligning with Governor Stitt um, that calls McGirt a huge issue. Right. I mean, the the governor says the McGirt ruling is the most important issue, most pressing issue facing Oklahoma ever. Uh, and I would say polling does not indicate that Oklahomans agree with him. I think less than a fourth of Ameri- of Oklahomans felt like it was um, actually that big of a deal. So Stitt's comments did not go over well, as you can, as you can imagine with the tribes. So Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. Uh, spoke at a rally about this just before the meeting and had some very strong words for mayor bynum um uh chief hoskin said i do not understand why he decided to resolve those challenges by throwing in with the most anti-tribal governor in the history of our state which is saying something because uh we've had some pretty anti-tribal governors
1: I mean we had alfalfa bill murray right so uh
0: so hoskin goes on to say i have no idea why any leader in this state would um, Would throw in with Kevin Stitt when it comes to Indian affairs because Kevin Stitt is a failure on Indian affairs. He has diminished tribal relations in this state more than any governor in its history. Those are them's, them's fighting words.
2: Well, and especially because Governor Stitt has tribal citizenship, right?
0: I think, I think that is somewhat contested. I mean, he's on the he's on the rolls.
2: He's on the rolls, so I, I think even to say that he's the most, you know, anti-sovereignty, anti-tribal nations governor is a, a very, very um, strong sentiment, right? <laughs> so, I mean, because we've talked about it on this podcast before, there's been several situations where Governor Stitt has uh, become cross-haired with tribal nations, I mean, from the gaming compact and now um, with the McGirt case and other things, and so one of the interesting things I think, Andy, is with Mayor Bynum signing on. The Tulsa, the Tulsa County Commissioners are like, um, we had no idea, um, and they even sent in a letter saying, um, we need you to to remove your name and remove the city of Tulsa <laughs> from from this letter because no other leaders had any idea that he was going to sign off on behalf of the the city of Tulsa. So that's another interesting realm is is, um, there are other government leaders within Tulsa, like for example, Representative Monroe Nichols um, released a a press release statement about his disappointment of Mayor Bynum signing on and, and hoping that he would um focus on other areas. Essentially that's that's you know the nature of the press release. But um but yeah and, and where he stands with with the tribal nations. But
0: all right well um uh, us uh let's keep going on another issue maybe this one isn't quite as much of a hot button issue. I know I said I was I'd sorted these by emotionality. Maybe I maybe this no is this, is a this re- one
2: definitely is because of the root of mm, that's likely true. of why. So allegedly, it's not the reason, but anyways,
0: right? Well, we can talk about that. And in fact, um, well, let me let me say what it is, and then we'll discuss it. <laughs> so the, the the next item on our list is uh, a huge change in the leadership of the State Department of Health. Again. Again, right? Uh, Commissioner Fry resigned, as did the COO, the CFO, the Legislative Affairs person, several others. I'm all in a matter of days. Um, Commissioner Fry resigned the day after there was a settlement reached about in a, in a suit pertaining to birth certificates and the inclusion of a non-binary option, right? So male, female, non-binary on there.
2: And other health records to allow people to identify as
0: non-binary. Right, right, which I just going to say to be clear, Binary gender is a social construct and does not accurately reflect the continuum, the myriad of identities that exist. Um, And this is a, one of those very tiny things where if it doesn't pertain to you, then it literally does not affect you. But for the, the millions of people that it does affect, it's important, right? So.
2: Well, Andy, and I think it is important because we're talking about the agency that collects information about how different um health disparities impact different communities. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, uh, this is the agency that's responsible of, um, knowing what's going on for our our literal health, right? And in public health. And that information is important because at the end of the day, non-binary Oklahomans exist here. And it's important to make sure, (laughs) regardless of whether you believe it or not, they exist here, right? And it's important that they have the ability to be accurately identified. Um, And so we know what's going on in communities and how to best serve them to make sure that we can be the healthiest state as possible. And so for outrage to grow on not Accurately tracking health data, right, is is to me outrageous.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Accurate data collection is super important, and so accurate classification uh, to, that reflects the the public as accurate as you can is is super important. Um, I when I wrote this on our on our list, I I was thinking about this the changeup in leadership and not about the underlying issue uh, because there's been so much I I probably blocked it out. But yeah, the governor's comments were abhorrent. Was terrible, um,
2: as if there was something that he and the AG could do, right? Right. Um, especially when the court said, "Oklahoma State Department of Health, you will have to do this," right?
1: <laughs> well, and the thing is, this, this 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 was a settlement that was reached, right, Which with the State Department of Health and and uh, uh, the this this person who used to live in Oklahoma who lives somewhere else now, where they were born in Oklahoma. Um, but I don't know if it was like mediated by the AG's office, but it was agreed to by the AG's office. Like this happened before AG Hunter left office. So it's not like the AG's office wasn't on board. Right. It's just, and it's of, you know, I mean, it's of, of all the things to get like worked up about of everything, right. Everything that's facing the state and the country. Like, that's that's what you're going to lose your mind over. But, I mean, let's be honest. Who's surprised, right? It's a culture war issue, um, which is where the governor is going to make his bread and butter when he tries to run for president, right? So, like, or senator or whatever the hell he wants to do, right? Like, that's...
2: Well, and, Scott, I think it connects to our conversation earlier about fear, right? For some reason, there's this fear that if we normalize... The LGBTQ plus experience, then somehow it changes who we are as individuals, right? Like it suddenly just changes um, our world in this negative way. When the reality is, is that um, it just makes our world better and it ensures that people can be their whole selves and have the ability to benefit from every part of the American experience, right? In the same ways that everybody else is able to. And so this is going to be another one of those moments um, of that chart that I mentioned of, you know, people feeling one way today and it having such, you know, high-strung viewpoints to where 20, 30 years from now, our kids and our grandkids are going to be wondering, why was this even an issue in the first place?
1: And it literally doesn't affect anybody else. What is on your birth certificate or my birth certificate or anybody? Like, it doesn't affect anyone else, right? Like, it matters to that person, but, like, and it matters for, like, state and, like, society, like, as you mentioned, like, collecting accurate data, but like no person's life, other than the person whose birth certificate it is, will be affected in any way at all by this.
2: I mean, it's it's the same thing for other issues, right? Like black people drinking water from a water fountain didn't affect white people, except they may have had to just wait <laughs> in line <laughs> to right. have a drink of water. You get what I'm saying? And yeah. so it's a lot of these issues that are rooted in um, irrationality racism homophobia right and we have to call it out we have to call it what it is
0: mm-hmm. i mean same thing with marriage equality right uh, someone else getting married doesn't affect my marriage if it does if, if someone else's marriage affects your marriage I would you your marriage got problems right yeah. <laughs> right.
2: But I, but i will say in the collective sense it affects all of us because it means that all of us aren't able to have the same rights and freedoms and abilities in this country right and so like h- how do I want to phrase this? Like, none of us are free until all of us are free, right? I, I-, I think that's the kind of you know perspective that I that I come with it because
1: And I don't want to I don't want to minimize I don't want to minimize that at all, Bailey. I just I'm just making the point that like if you had your gender identity on your birth certificate changed like tomorrow, like because that's what was best. For- for you and that's like who you are that will not affect my life in any way right like that's like y- yes like societally like one 100 i i don't when i say that like it doesn't affect anybody else i don't mean to like minimize the like real systemic issues there are and 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 to what your point is that like yes n- nobody like nobody is free until everybody is free to live their life i just i continue to be amazed at people like the governor and their outrage over something that literally will not impact his life at all
2: it's just another form of suppression but again he's just going to be on the wrong side of this issue and that's how he's going to be remembered especially because progress is going to continue moving forward. Again, if it's kicking and screaming, dragging people along, progress is going to continue moving.
0: On the subject of the, of the change up in leadership at the health department, um, Bailey, you're exactly right. Again, uh, I know, it well, even before you joined us, Bailey, Scott and I, I remember recording an episode in Upper Room Studios at Scott's house where we had typed out a timeline of events, with, you know, money being moved around and and shenanigans at the health department. Gosh, that was in the early days, that was four years ago. And uh, they've had a bumpy ride. I bet they've had at least three or four commissioners in as many years. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of friends who work there. And that's, that level of change of administration is difficult because it trickles down to how the agency operates, right?
2: especially since we're still in a pandemic, right? Right. And that's an important agency related to how we respond in times of public health crises and emergencies. And so-
0: Well, and they're like moving locations and there's all this change. Like there's just so much going on and you need some consistency to ensure that services are being provided and that, that people feel secure in their work. Uh, this is the kind of thing that erodes trust and uh, you know in people's employment and they start looking for other options right and so um, you've got I mean there's already potential changes um, with the medical marijuana um, uh, administration and, and what all that looks like and so this is it just uh, it just sucks it sucks for the employees
2: underneath local and the Oklahoma state department of health right
0: <laughs> yeah currently right currently we'll see what that remains I know there's well, there's a couple of initiative petitions to change that, so we'll we'll see what happens. All right, um, well, then let's turn to, I think, uh, our last couple, oh, excuse me. Well, then let's turn to our last couple of items for this week and it probably works out that we don't have a ton of time because uh, I think we could easily all three rant angrily, um, you know, uh, with a lot of hurt in this as well, but um, as I'm sure listeners well know, yesterday the state of Oklahoma executed um, a man, John Grant, um, first person to be executed in six years, seven Seven. years? Seven,
2: and since the last two botched executions that happened where two men suffered, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. As they were being executed.
0: Yeah. And I was I was going to say the first execution in seven years and the third botched in a row.
2: And in fact, there was supposed to be a stay because Oklahoma ran out of the chemicals that were used in previous executions. And that was part of the reason why the two executions seven years ago happened the way that they did was because they were experimenting with um alternative chemicals and so there was supposed to be a stay until that could be figured out because it's in it's in first of all i believe that the practice of um the death penalty um is inherently biased um it's a racist institution that we've maintained over time um and when we're looking at our peers and in, in other parts of the world that sometimes we admire to be like, that's, it's not the norm across the entire world. Right. And so um, I'm frustrated that this man, so the, one, the thing that's, and we talked about this before the pod began, right. Um, that there were media. So thank God for the free press that were there watching what was happening. And they reported to us what happened to John Grant. They said that he vomited on himself and that he convulsed more than two dozen times. And even though that happened to him, the DLC just moments ago had a press conference trying to convince us that everything was fine and that it wasn't done in a way that was inhumane which is outrageous but i have a lot other things to say about it but i'll want to make sure that i give you andy and, and scott space to, to comment on it as
0: well well and i'll say you know i think like a lot of folks uh, yesterday sean murphy from the ap also friend of the podcast he's been on a couple of times um he was one of the members of the press the the ap has like a standing spot to observe executions, and uh, afterwards he came out, as you said, and, and shared his experience. And if you haven't seen the video on social media, uh, listeners, I guess I'll say I encourage you to watch it. It's not, it's not easy. I mean, Sean is a tremendous reporter; he does an excellent job of of conveying the facts. Um, but honestly, I I sat right here at my desk and uh, wept. It was it, it was very weird to watch this, to think about how we treat our fellow man and then to look, you know, at another screen. I had my daughter on her on the on the baby monitor. She was napping. And to 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 have these two screens in front of me where I'm on one screen watching life in the future and the other screen I'm watching um the end of someone's life who, you know, who was someone's child who's uh and I, I there's a lot to be said about humanity, about our about society. Um and I'm, I'm with you. I think I, I I've I think I used to be pro-death penalty when I was younger, right? It made sense. It was like an eye for an eye. Like, you kill someone, you should die too, and we'll nip it in the bud. That is not how it works. The data does not bear that out. The death penalty where it exists is not a deterrent to violent crime or any kind of crime.
2: Um, Nor does it bring healing or solace for victims yeah, and their families.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it, it might, right? Like, and I I said this to Scott yesterday, if it was my wife, my child, my loved one who was murdered uh, or raped or whatever the crime was, I might want that person to die. Sure. Cause I, as a human, am a broken person, right? And it is a, a natural response to want revenge, but that is exactly why we have juries, why we don't we don't ask the, the victim or their families, what, what do you think should happen here? Uh, because it may not be the best thing. And also we as a society can set a better standard, right? Like we don't have to do that. So I will I will say one last thing and Scott, I wanna hear your thoughts, but uh, the US has the sixth highest number of executions in the world, right? China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, egypt and then the u.s Um, that's the rankings for the number of executions per year uh, from 2019 that's not a list we want to be top 10 in right
1: yeah yeah there are some folks you know um there are some folks from department of corrections and and others um that have Felt that really what they should do in this moment is talk about Mr. Grant's crimes, um, why he was in prison. um, Talk about, you know, what the last few days um, were like for him. I don't think there's really any utility in doing that. Um, I will say that. um, I will say that for me, like Andy, you know, I had tears in my eyes yesterday and for me, it came from reading a statement by uh, Sarah Jernigan, who is or was mr grant's attorney and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read it because i it's better than like what i could say um it says john grant took full responsibility for the murder of gay carter and he spent his years on death row trying to understand and atone for his actions more than any other client i've worked with however we must not forget oklahoma's hand in this tragic story when john stole to feed and clothe himself and his siblings Oklahoma labeled him a delinquent instead of a desperate and traumatized child who was left to fend for himself. John wasn't even a teenager yet when Oklahoma sent him to the first of several state-run youth detention facilities. Oklahoma's shame would later be the label affixed to the horrors that occurred inside the walls of those facilities during John's time there after national investigations uncovered years of institutional abuse. John's trauma from these facilities was so deep that he was simply unable to speak about it. What we learned of the myriad abuses he endured comes from others. Oklahoma ultimately dumped John on the street with no skills and no support for the mental illness that was exacerbated by years of being both the victim of and witness to beatings, rapes and extended periods in solitary confinement amongst other abuses. When he committed a robbery at age 17, Oklahoma sent him to an adult prison subjecting him to further victimization as later documented in a class action lawsuit through all of this john never received the mental health care he needed or deserved while in prison and when he eventually committed a violent crime the murder of a prison worker oklahoma provided him with incompetent lawyers who had no business handling a case with the ultimate punishment at stake i pray that john grant is at peace now and i pray that his death brings peace and closure to miss carter's family you know and i think that that's I mean, to me, that like says it better than anything. Um this this was, I mean, I don't know the details of what, you know, what what all his mental health was or whatever. I, I don't I don't know the details of his life other than what I just read you. Um but I mean I'll tell you who you know, all of us, I think, deserve to hear that and read about it and think about it. But our leaders are the ones that really need to take that to heart. Because when we cut funding for mental health, when we cut funding for education, when we cut funding for food stamps, when we cut funding for healthcare, when we cut, when we cut, when we cut, when we cut, we cut, we cut, and we do this over and over and over and again in the name of the economy or in the name of lowering taxes or in the name of not having government dependency or the name of whatever other bullshit we do it in, this is what happens, right? like this was a man who was born to a single mom who had 9 kids who grew up in abject poverty and was literally stealing as a child to provide food for his family like there's no there's no excuse for that like none there's none that shouldn't happen in our society we have too much we have too much for that to happen and and nothing nothing that happened to Mr Grant in his life makes the murder of gay carter okay it doesn't make it acceptable it doesn't make it something for which he shouldn't be punished and punished severely for committing the ultimate crime but it is wrong for us to ignore the role that our system had in his life taking the path that it did
2: I'd be remiss if I didn't lift the racism that's embedded into this country and the way that we apply um, punishment, right? To bring it back full circle and connect the dots. We just commemorated the centennial of the Tulsa race massacre. I'll never forget because this past weekend I visited... Greenwood Rising. And we saw that picture that's been used across the country to illustrate the torture and destruction that has happened in Black communities for a long time. And it's a picture of a boy and his mother hanged from a bridge. And above the two Black folks hanged are a group of white folks in Okima and their kids there, mom holding a baby, um, just a wide range of folks. Standing up there were probably police officers, National Guardsmen, right? Probably mailmen, church members, right? When we look at what happened May 31st and June 1st of 1921, right? Hundreds of folks died at the hands of their neighbors. And what happened? They went back home. They went back to their regular lives, right? No one was held accountable individually for dragging Black bodies across the ground, right? burning their property to the ground and not helping them recover. Our government actively participated in killing and lynching Black bodies over time. And individual people were not held accountable. The woman who contributed to the reason why Emmett Till was mutilated is still among us and never had been prosecuted. She lied on that young teenager right the men who killed him were initially free they weren't brought to justice right there's been so many cases of black people being tortured and harmed with no accountability at all and so in this country we have inequitable ways that we um Prescribe, I guess, uh punishment, right? There's constantly reasons of why we justify the torturing of black and brown bodies. When you go to um South Carolina and Dylan Wolf, I think was his name, shot an entire church of black folks just praying, worshiping God. And the police officer took him to go get a burger. And he's sitting in somebody's prison today, right? And so the ways that we apply the law are not equitable. They're racist. And they continue today. We saw that with John Grant. We heard that with what Scott just said about the failures of this country on his life. And now we see our government actively defending their behaviors and how he suffered in his time of death. When we talk about the Oklahoma standard, that's quintessential. That's quintessential American values of how we treat black and black black and brown folks in this country. And it's sad and it has to change
0: The population of Oklahoma is just under eight percent black African American seven point something percent um, and Contrast that with the percentage of people who have been executed in Oklahoma. Uh, it's 32 percent are black, right? So African Americans are are way overrepresented uh, among among uh, people who are executed. That that does not mean, <laughs> right, that black people commit more heinous crimes proportionally, right? Like that means that they are put to death. They are sentenced to death. Uh, at a rate way higher than uh, than their representation in the public. And that's since 1990. I'm sure if we go back before that, it is...
1: It'd be a lot worse. <laughs>
0: right.
2: And like I said, if we go back over time, right, some people's grandmas and great-grandpas, right, should have been locked up in somebody's prison, should have been, quote-unquote, executed if you believe that the punishment for... Murdering people is execution, right? But they have the ability to live in their communities without any accountability, right? They could become elected leaders, they could become public servants, they could become business owners and do all these other things, right? And I think that's something we have to reckon with, right? This is not about the past. This is stuff from the past that still remains with us today and how our systems operate to disproportionately harm Black folks in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we as we move towards the end of the episode, um, we don't move far on topics, right? So Julius Jones, who is still on death row, who in the last week had a stay that was then lifted. He's awaiting his clemency hearing, which has been postponed to next week to November 1st, right? And, uh, and I think there are enormous questions um, about what the future of his life looks like.
2: Because Andy, and I'll live right here. This country also has a history of executing people who are innocent, that when DNA evidence came back decades later or whatever, it's oops. They really didn't do it. And it's too late. You can't bring people back from the dead after you kill them. And that's been the story of way too many Black folks who have been executed and were innocent because there has been racism in systems, right? Things of, of, of people having things planted against them to make it seem like they committed a certain crime, right? Even though it was somebody else. There's been cover-ups. coverups. That, that's been things that have been part of American practices and systems for decades and and years and years and years, right? And so um, there's questions about this particular case, right? And even the Pardon and Parole Board recommended clemency. And so it's so important that we're pushing out how people feel about the death penalty, any biases that they hold. um, I take issue with the poll that Pat McFerrin's firm released. Coincidentally, while the governor's having to make a decision and taking the facts of this clemency hearing that's supposed to happen on November 1st, sharing that um, Oklahoma voters, quote unquote, and a majority of conservatives support executing folks. Right. And that there's a significant part of Democrats who support executing folks in the state and how people support, uh, executing Julie Jones. None of that matters. Public opinion shouldn't matter.
0: Right. (laughs) It don't make it right.
2: It, It don't make it right at all. It's, it's really about listening to the facts of this case. Right. And making sure that he gets, um, a fair trial and, and, and fair process throughout. Right because this is life and death, it's that serious. And you can't go back and say, oops, my bad. And this country is guilty of that. The state is guilty of that. Uh,
0: in fact, I mentioned this to someone yesterday, uh, John Grisham, the you know, well-known author, right, of the firm and all these legal books, his only nonfiction book as of 2020 is called The Innocent Man, Murder and Injustice in a Small Town. In Oklahoma about a man in ADA, right? Ron Williamson um, in ADA, former minor league baseball player, was wrongly convicted in 1988 of the rape and murder uh, of a woman sentenced to death, served 11 years on death row, and was exonerated by DNA evidence and other material that was introduced by the Innocence Project. Um, So in 1999, he was released. Um, It's a powerful book. I read it, oh, probably eight, nine years ago. Um, and then it was on Netflix. They had a special about it, uh, December of 2018 called the innocent man. So you can find it on there. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this, that wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> like he, um, uh, that's in our lifetime, uh, that, that they convicted him and overturned it because it was wrong. And if you read, even if you go to Wikipedia and look up the innocent man, John Grisham, you can read the synopsis, right. Of the, of the story. Uh, And spoiler alert, the guy's innocent, right? And was exonerated. Um, And it is a, it's just a a terrible story. And, um, and I, the, as, I don't know, as a human being, like the, the, I can't in good conscience um, subject anyone to death, right? Much less someone who may not be guilty of, of what people, you know, he was accused of. And so,
2: There's been plenty of times in our history where black men have been falsely accused of all kinds of stuff, right? And it's led to black men being tortured, right?
0: Oh, man. The, 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 whatever the protocol is for someone like in the last 25 days or something before their, um yeah before they're executed is terrible like it is it's horrifying we, we basically tortured them for a month before we 35 them, days which it is starts okay. 30
1: 35 days before their execution they move them to death row and every few days they move i think it's every week they move to one cell closer to one cell closer to the execution chamber they hear and see people that are being executed um they're not allowed visitors i mean it's it's horrifying
0: and like why? Like there, none of that make that is only set up to torture that individual. It's not helpful in any way. There's no reason to move them closer to the chamber. Jiminy Christmas. That's.
2: And not every state has. um
0: A death watch. A death watch. Called. Yeah.
2: Or, or even all states don't execute people. No. Right. And so I, I just hope that our country gets to a place where we have a system that that's, that's equitable in its treatment of the law right that that 100 percent. so anyway as i
0: said on twitter uh, the death penalty is morally reprehensible it is fiscally irresponsible um, and it doesn't change anything right it's not the right thing to do it costs us more money and it's and it's doesn't doesn't make anything better it doesn't fix anything so all right well on that note we should wrap up bailey thanks for being here today
2: <laughs> thank you andy
0: Scott, thanks, man. Wouldn't miss it. Listeners, if you are also upset by the events of this week, the last couple of weeks, please do something. Write an email to Governor Stitt. Write a letter to your, an email to your state representatives. Call them on the phone. Do all both those things. It takes you five minutes, right? The little, the least you could do is to send an email. At, and... And if you were sitting there thinking, "Yeah, I could, but it's not going to make a difference," at least you try, it, right? Do you vote? You listen to this podcast. Surely you vote. At least you could do is send an email.
2: The biggest changes that have happened in this country started with the people. That's right. And if we don't make the change, then the change won't
0: happen. Right? That's right. Go online. There are there are plenty of events coming up that are um, vigils and and protests and marches and whatever um, for this. Even if you don't yourself know or care if julius jones is is guilty or not but you are opposed to the death penalty or you at least think you know we should pause on something it's not too late show up right do it Uh, as we say at the end of almost every episode decisions are made by those who show up and man the decision to save someone's life is a hell of a reason to show up have a good week